Would you join with me in prayer, please, this morning? Our Father, we come to you with hearts grateful for your goodness, for your grace extended to us in Jesus Christ, how we have been able to sing with one another this morning, though scattered around throughout the community and the area, Father, and yet still we're able to unite our hearts together in worship to you. Father, we... We recognize today the uh, very unusual circumstances in which we live. We thank you for what we're allowed to do here in this way now. But Father, again, our prayer is as it has always been. Would you please quickly bring your people together once again to worship you with one another in this place that, Father, we might be reminded of your goodness and grace, encouraging one another face-to-face in that way. We continue to pray, Father, in this time, that for those who are fearful, you would provide peace. For those who are anxious, you would provide calm. For those who are struggling in so many various ways, Father, we pray that your goodness and your mercy would be abundant before them. We pray for the needs of our church family this morning in sickness, in struggles financially, in, in burdens and cares and concerns. Father, we ask, please, would you lift them? And would you give to us grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We are, we are continuing to make our way through Luke's gospel, of course, wanting to continue on that path. It's where the Lord began us several years ago, and we find ourselves continuing it in this, uh, in this season where we move towards celebrating the resurrection. We find ourselves in the events leading up to the resurrection in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 22, we find ourselves, and over the past several weeks, we've been in this chapter in Luke 22, and we have, we've taken five sermons to cover what has been really just a few hours in the life of Jesus. We were with Jesus as he observed the Passover meal with his disciples, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, communion for us. We were there to listen in as the disciples argued with one another over who was the greatest. We heard Jesus in his conversation with Peter where he informed Peter that he was going to deny Jesus three times. And then we've walked with Jesus outside and across into the region of the Mount of Olives there where Jesus has prayed And then we've seen Jesus arrested as well. Josh expounded upon that passage last week. We're not going to go back over that passage again, but we will have to remind ourselves and rehearse for us uh, again what took place in those events coming up. The, The plot, as you know, has been hatched. Judas has met with the religious leaders, and he has agreed to betray Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. And then we come to verse 54 of Luke chapter 22, and it's really quite anticlimactic, honestly. We simply read that then they seized him and led him away. We were reminded last week who was here at this time, who who was involved in this, the chief priests, the officers of the temple, the elders of Israel. 
The, the mockery of a trial begins with these religious leaders. They were the ones who would pass the, the verdict that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. But of course they were unable to execute judgment upon him in the form of death. And so the Romans would soon be involved as well, seeing in Jesus a plot at insurrection of the Roman government. It's interesting to me what strange bedfellows we have working together here in unison against Jesus. The, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman governments despising one another, and yet they come together in order to deal with this supposed threat, Jesus. After the arrest, Jesus is taken to the high priest's home. Peter, we're told, is following at a distance and Jesus is taken to another area of some sort, and Jesus, Peter is in the courtyard, a fire is stoked, and he's there, we're told, right in the midst of the arresting party. Verse 55 uh, shares that with us. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then you remember what happened while they were there. There is, first of all, a servant girl uh, in verse 56 that comes to Peter and says, this, this man was with him. Of course, Peter denies that, this, this little servant girl and her uh, accusation against Peter. It's been enshrined in the record of each of the four Gospels. And the accusation against Peter doesn't even come close to comparing with the more powerful accusations of the Sanhedrin against Jesus that he is enduring at this moment. But even this test, Peter cannot withstand a little later, we're told in verse 58 that someone else saw him and said, you're, you're also one of them. It's interesting that this second accusation is not whether Peter necessarily knows Jesus, but whether Peter is one of them, one of the disciples. Essentially here, Peter not only denies Jesus, but Peter denies himself as well. He denies the mission, the fellowship, the witness that he shared with Jesus since Jesus first called Peter to follow him and then therefore become a fisher of men. In verse 59, we're told that after about an hour, a longer time than previously apparently, there was now another one. This man comes now not with an accusation but with insistence saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. This is where we left off last week, Peter's response to this man. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Peter, in three separate occasions, is identified with Jesus. And on each occasion, each occasion he denies his relationship with Jesus. And then we're given this word in verse 60. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly, immediately. While, while Peter was still speaking against this, this third insistent accusation, as if you will, the words were still on his lips, a number of things happened simultaneously. 
If, if this were a movie scene, this would be a strategic moment in the movie scene. The rooster crows, and the Lord turns and, and catches the gaze of Peter, and the camera focuses in on Peter, and the viewer realizes that what is going on in Peter's mind is a remembrance of exactly what the Lord had said. We're told in the text here that the, that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Found something interesting in studies this week, that that word in this form, turned, it's used seven times in the Gospel of Luke, and it always has Jesus as its subject. Jesus turned, and this is the only incident of those seven where the word Lord is used of Jesus. You may remember the last time that Peter called Jesus Lord. It's over in verse 33 in the same chapter here of Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 33, where Peter has been told by Jesus that, that he's prayed for the whole group of disciples because Satan has asked that he might sift them like wheat. And he tells Peter that when you have strengthened, or excuse me, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says to him, this is the last time Peter refers to Jesus as Lord. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then here we see the Lord turning and gazing upon Peter with a look that pierces his heart. Here was Peter who could defend himself from the look of a servant girl, but not from the look of Jesus. If you will, go, go back again into that very area where we were in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Listen to the words of Jesus here in verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. What a moment. What an incredible moment in which we find Peter this morning on the heels of his denials of Jesus. And yet what we see happening is Jesus, in full control of the situation, knew everything that was to happen. Not any moment of this has escaped the sovereign control and knowledge of our Lord. His control has never waned. His authority has never weakened. Could it be the case that maybe this morning you need to be reminded that our Lord is still in control? He is. The throne has never been abdicated. His control is never weakened in one iota. We will even see this further as we make our way through down into, verse 30, down into verses 63, 64, and 65 as well to remember and to see that Jesus is in full control of this situation. 
Maybe I can remind you what Jesus said that we looked at earlier in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 18, verse 31, we read Jesus saying this, Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. On the hills of Peter's denial and the look by Jesus, can you look now at Luke chapter 22, verse 63, and listen to what we read here. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Jesus, earlier in his ministry, had said this was the very thing that was going to take place. We shouldn't be surprised when we come to this moment in Luke's gospel and the moments that are to follow from this because Jesus has told us exactly what it will be that is to take place. He has said that he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon. And here we read the very thing happening that Jesus told. Prophecy foretold, prophecy fulfilled. And every bit of this is firmly under the control of our Lord. And the wonderful thing to know in all of this is that our Lord is good and His control over all events is always for His glory and for our good. Never a moment escapes His sovereign control, His power, and His authority in creation. I think that many of us need to be reminded of that this morning. We need to be reminded that the Lord has not lost control. He has not stepped back from His throne and said, What do I do about this now? Everything is fully under His control. As we stand today in these current circumstances, do I doubt for a moment that the Lord still is in control? No. Still, He is in control. Still, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Him. What is He doing in this? I don't know. But I know that He does. And in that I will trust Him and lean upon Him. But now, can we return again to Peter? Peter, the rock, we're told. Now the rock has collapsed. There it is. Peter is denied. End of story, right? So often we are prone, I think, to throw stones at Peter. Look at the weakness of his faith. Here, here in this incident, we are brought face to face with the decline of Peter. But do not think for a moment it is only the decline of Peter that we are confronted with this morning. We are confronted with our own decline as well. We are confronted with the fact that when we view our own weaknesses, we have to admit that it is just the slightest temptation 
that can cause us to stumble. Some may look at this and say, oh, it's just a a little servant girl that comes before Peter and he cowers before her. What a coward he is. Careful now. Even the slightest temptation can come our way and cause us to stumble. Let us be careful of throwing stones at Peter lest we have them thrown back at us as well. Let us look and let us learn from Peter instead. We're told that while Peter was still speaking out his denial of Jesus, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord somehow, perhaps being transferred from one place to another, perhaps walking through the courtyard where the people were gathered now, the text doesn't tell us, But there was a point where he is able to see Peter, and Peter is able to see him. Reminded of how the Lord has ministered to Peter, how he has ministered with Peter throughout his life. Jesus' voice has spoken to Peter before. Jesus called Peter to become a fisher of men. Jesus' hand has been given to Peter before. The hand of Jesus reached out to save Peter when Peter began to sink in the water. But now it's not his voice. Now it's not his hand. Now it's the eye that is given to Peter. There's a measure of grace in that. Had Jesus spoken to Peter, it might have been that the whole mob would have assailed Peter at that moment as well. Had had Jesus reached out His hand again, the, the crowd certainly would have remarked at the treachery of this disciple who had just denied knowing Jesus. But a look. It's altogether different. How do you think Jesus looked at Peter? Was it perhaps with a look of disappointment? Perhaps a a look to, to say, I told you, Peter, I told you you would deny me. Was it a look of anger? Was it a look of sadness? Was it maybe a look of disgust? Maybe a look of condemnation? Do you remember the story that Jesus told of the two boys, the two brothers that they were? The the prodigal son, we call it. We could easily have called it uh, the prodigal sons. Both of them were messed up. One was messed up at home. One was messed up away from home. And Jesus tells this story of this brother who goes away in all sorts of riotous living, spending his measure of the inheritance from the father. And yet he comes back to the Father. The Father receives him. It's it's a message of grace. It's a message of kindness. It's a message of forgiveness. The boy doesn't get what he deserves. He gets mercy. I wonder, do you think the Jesus who told that story looked across at Peter and condemned him with this gaze? I don't think so. I think it was a gaze filled with compassion. 
And I mean, just, just think about the circumstances in which we find Jesus at this moment. Jesus is bound. Jesus is accused. Jesus is beaten. But his thought and his eyes were for wondering Peter. Certainly it would have been no reproach at all had the thoughts of Jesus been concentrated on his personal sufferings. We could understand that, couldn't we? But here's the Lord thinking of Peter. And in that moment that their eyes lock, the rooster crows. It is then that Peter remembered. He remembered, we're told, and he went out and wept bitterly. What was it that Peter remembered? He remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered the word that the Lord had said to him. And after all of this, something amazing happened in Peter's life. We're reminded, and we will make our way through the events where we will come to Calvary and Jesus is crucified. We, we will stand back and look at the events of the resurrection. We, we will see with the crowd as Jesus ascends to the Father. And then in the second volume of Luke's Gospel, the book of Acts, we'll read about the story of the Spirit of God falling upon those disciples on the day of Pentecost. When Peter was used so mightily by God to proclaim the gospel message and thousands of people were converted in that moment. I truly believe that one reason Peter was so useful at that moment was that he realized on this night what a phenomenal failure he was on his own. And it was when he remembered the word of the Lord that his heart was stirred to repentance. Jesus had no doubt shared the message within Peter's hearing from John chapter 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Here is Peter in his denial, apart from Christ, doing nothing. But it is with Christ that he bears much fruit. It is in this moment when Peter's gaze is met by Christ, that Peter is emptied in order that he might be filled, that he is broken in order that he might become strong, that he weeps in order that he might know the joy of forgiveness. Can I share just an observation with you from this passage this morning? It, it, it has been my observation that those whom God has used if there are any attempts to explain their usefulness which fail to take into account brokenness, failure, tears, regret, disappointment, all of that fails to understand God's methodology of working with man. He breaks us in order that He might fill us 
and use us for His glory. When we are divested of ourselves, it is then that we have room to be filled with Christ. May I also say to you this morning, if you feel that you have sinned yourself out of the proper place, will you consider even more still the amazing grace of our Lord? In the midst of your sin, the Lord looks on you with love. What a wonderful thought is this, not to excuse our sin, but to overcome our sin. That is His gaze. That's His look into our hearts and lives. Don't don't run from your failures. Acknowledge them. Give them over to God. Ask God to sanctify them in your life for His glory and His purpose in your ministry to others. And this morning, can I just leave you with a couple of applications to close? First of all, with a question, where are you being drawn this morning? I mean by that, what is it that's being leveraged in your heart to lead you to a denial of Jesus? Understand that whatever it is that is being leveraged in your heart to lead you to a denial of Jesus, you do not have what it takes in yourself to resist that kind of sin. Look to Jesus as He looks to you. Remember His Word to you. And then you discover power to overcome. Jesus even reminded us that in this world we will have troubles, we will have tribulations, we will have temptations in this world, but he gives us this astounding reminder when he says, but take heart, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So whatever it is that is is toying with your heart, that is tearing at your soul, you will not overcome it apart from the power of Christ. So as he looks to you, look to him and remember his word given to you. The second word of application this morning, as we see the sovereign authority of Christ over all of this, Peter's denial foretold. The way that Christ would be treated foretold. Are you perhaps in a position of doubting the controlling authority of God in your situation, whatever it may be? Of course, we all are at times, aren't we? So can I leave you with this passage this morning? Be be assured of this, Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand, He is still in control. And He has not lost sight of you in the midst of it. Father, we ask now in this moment that you speak to our hearts as you have spoken through your word, Father, write it upon our hearts that we might be encouraged in our time together, even remotely, Father. That this might be a moment where we reflect upon your goodness, upon your grace, upon your mercy. And that, Father, we might return to you. I pray for those souls this morning listening who are perhaps burdened with the alluring call of temptation and sin. I pray, Father, that you would remind them of your word before the moment of compromise comes, and that in all of it we might see your grace we might see your mercy. Father, I pray for us as well that we might rest fully in your sovereign arms today. Even in not understanding, knowing that you are good and knowing that you are in control. We love you, Father. We're thankful for this time together. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless. <laughs>